like they they advertise one match by crashing a car into one of the wrestlers. Not a total victory of Russia, which now we're seeing. This he goes on. Gigantic bag of flaccid dicks. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Which, when you open them up, you find out that they're all cockroaches inside. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. No, I don't know if anybody else is ever going to laugh this hard at anything we Probably. say. Uh, we can actually both look out my window right now and see some very pretty yellow flowers that I'm going to be eradicating. This is a Geek History of Time. Where we bring nerdery into the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher at a middle school here in California. Uh, And I have been a geek since roughly the age of nine, uh, when I was introduced to first edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons through, of all things, a gifted and talented weekend enrichment program. (laughs) I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher, a former social science teacher at a local high school here in California as well. Uh, I've been a geek at least since I was about six, which puts me in the Reagan administration of geekery. But really, my first uh, personal foray into geekery was probably around the age of 10 or maybe 11 when I found some kids playing the old TSR Marvel uh, at uh, at the local school that I had just moved to. I found my own quickly. You found so your tribe. I did. Yes. I did indeed. So, uh, yeah, I mean, California's on fire, which means that this episode <clears throat> could be airing literally any month of the year. Yeah, just about. So, yeah. <laughs> hence our voices. Yeah, could be recorded just about any month yeah. of the year. Yeah, and while we're at it, there's probably been a mass shooting next Somewhere. week. Yeah, yeah so, it will be. Again. And our president has embarrassed us on the national stage. Again. Yeah. So this well, is inter, a partisan inter, inter, podcast. Inter, international stage. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> MAGA hats can be left at the door mm-hmm. uh, or or more likely um, they won't be left at the door. Uh, anybody wearing them will very rapidly turn around and leave. Um, <laughs> we, which, will, we will tread on you. Yeah. Well, so. yeah. Yeah. So. Hate to, hate, to, hate to be so blunt. No, we really don't. No. No. Thinking about it for a moment, not at all. Yeah. So this podcast kills fascists. Hopefully. Like Arlo Guthrie. All right. So last time we left off, we had just finished talking about the Civil War, which, as it turns out, was in fact about slavery. Yes. Oddly enough. Yeah. And then we started talking about how people very quickly ran to try to prove that it wasn't about slavery. And these were people called historians. And I say people called historians because... You, know, you, you say people called historians <laughs> the way I like to use the phrase people calling themselves Christians. Um, no true historian know, because, would do this. <laughs> because, yes, yes. As a guy who wears a kilt on a regular basis, no true Scotsman is is a thing. Um, I, I I will just you know point out that um, yeah the the this actually occurred to me today mm. thinking about this and you know uh, kind of kind of getting ready to come over here to do this is that um, I, I think what pisses me off the most about uh, the lost cause historiography. Mm-hmm is that these are people who, who wear the mantle of being historians. They have the degrees They of have being the historians. degrees, yes. Yeah. They, they, have, they have taken all the same coursework. They've done mm-hmm. all the same stuff. Oh, granted, and, this is late 1800s people. Oh, oh yeah. So this is well, like the Charles Adams School. Well, yes, we, we're, we're talking about the Charles Adams School, but, but we're also talking about a whole bunch of people since those guys. We're talking about 
uh, textbook authors, textbook oh, yeah. editors, uh, all the way down to well, it's permeated the culture. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah, uh, yeah. the and one thing that the South has always done well is infect the pool. Yeah, like dye yeah. the water just slightly, just, just tinted it just so, a bit. Yeah. And it, so anyway, but the the people who were the most uh, dedicated about this mm-hmm. wear the mantle of being historians. Mm-hmm. But what we're supposed to do as historians. With a small age, since we're not professionally working in archives or anything like that. I'm, oh, okay. I'm, I was going to say, you are a professional well, historian. You well, are yeah. paid to history. I, I am I am paid to history. Yeah, yeah. I like that. But um, as, as somebody who is not doing historical research consistently on a regular basis. Adding finding, original. Adding, adding original material yeah. to the record. Yeah. But as somebody who is passing it on, mm-hmm. um, the job of a historian is to look at the documents. Mm-hmm. And then interpret the documents and then put that out there. Right. And the whole historiography of the lost cause mm-hmm. is literally built around ignoring a whole <laughs> a whole swath. Whole, yes. Whole multiple swaths. Yeah. Necessitating a rack. That um, <laughs> to to paraphrase uh, Wayne Wayne a rack a rack um, they they willfully mm-hmm. and consciously and mm-hmm. at the at the very beginning consciously yeah ignored it in pursuit of this this weird semi spiritual semi national it was a vindication of their culture yeah, is it what was, it was it was it was a a, a they would argue it was mm-hmm. an indication of their culture. Well, that's what and, they were attempting to do. Yes, yeah, yeah, and and what it what it was was a lie that well, yeah. has that has completely infected American historiography ever since. And which and the, goes back even further, though, into I mean, John C. Calhoun calling it a peculiar institution. I mean, it goes back way further than well, even been, the been Civil been War. There's been euphemizing since the founding of the Republic. Right. I'll, That's I'll also a lie. Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue there is, okay. as the Catholic in the room, I'm sure. going to argue that there is a difference in degree mm-hmm. between John C. Calhoun knowing that there was something wrong with uh-huh. slavery and choosing to use a term like the peculiar institution mm-hmm. and all of the motherfuckers who sat there immediately after the Civil War and turned around and said, no, no, slavery was not ever part of this. That's some 1984 Orwell-level doublespeak bullshit. Well, would you say that's a difference in degree, or is that a difference in kind? I mean, a difference in degree would put them on the same spectrum, but it seems like, okay, Calhoun knew it, acknowledged it somewhere in his addled, addled, it wasn't addled, evil brain. <laughs> um, and, and he was so bad, by the way, that Andrew Jackson... Want, had two regrets. One was that he didn't hang him. Yeah, like that's how bad it was. Yeah, and, but and so Jackson. Like, by the way, speaking of wow, horrible human being. Yeah, but so is that a difference in degree, or is that a difference in kind? Like we are talking about a wholly different thing about that, the same subject. You know, I, I yeah. had not. I I that is that is a meaningful epistemological epistemological mm-hmm. epistemological uh, conversation to be had. I think there's something to that. I think it is. Oh. I think it is something. I think it is something different, which I think still kind of goes back to, to the point I was making. Sure, which, sure. Is, which is that, you know, Calhoun was uncomfortable with it, and was trying to find a way to make himself comfortable mm-hmm. with talking about it, with dealing with it. Whereas this was 
a conscious, okay, directed effort to to mm-hmm. alter right the documented past. Right. You know, we we talk about and I teach well, I my gave you the cornerstone speech. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We 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 as historians, as instructors, we mm-hmm. tell our students to look at the primary source documents. Right. And this was a directed effort to say no, no. No, that's there. There, there are no documents. We're, we're just going to completely right. ignore the existence of these documents altogether. We're not going to include them in the record of what we talk about. Mm-hmm. We're going to willfully ignore them, and we're going to put this other story out there in its place. We're going to put a false narrative. Yes, in we're okay. going to yeah. create a a whole cloth false narrative. Okay. That, like any good lie, right, has a kernel of truth to it. Sure, sure. Because there, there was an element of the argument about states' rights. So there, in some ways, the difference is John C. Calhoun is lying to himself. Yes. Whereas these people are lying to others. Yes. These people are propagandists calling themselves historians. Yes. So yes. Newt Gingrich right, being a historian. Yeah. 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 Goebbels yeah. would be so proud. Yeah. Well, maybe he, he got it from this. Mm. Well, so... Uh, anyway, tangent. But that is yeah. that that is why, when we were talking about this last time, mm-hmm. I, I realized where my, my wellspring of rage was coming from that was causing me to pantomime <laughs> kicking somebody on the floor the oh, whole time boy. you were reading yeah. that speech. He was stomping through the guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get you. Well, um, so we're going to take a decided shift... Uh, and I would argue is not a difference in kind, but a difference in degree. Okay. But it's going to seem so much like a difference it's in kind, kind that because you're going to have to make a case for it. Uh huh. Okay. I'm going to talk to you tonight about professional wrestling. Okay. Just so our audience <laughs> understands, when yeah. we were talking about starting this podcast, this was one of the first ideas that Damien shared with me. Yeah. And I have been squeeing <laughs> so hard that we're finally getting to talk about this because. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. Go. Are, are you a wrestling fan? Everybody watched it a little when they were young, but I'm, I'm are you of, a I'm, fan? I'm one of those people who watched it a little bit when, uh-huh. when I was young. Uh, when I'm talking about when I was young, mm-hmm. this is when I was in the fourth, fifth, sixth grade. It's about right. Third, yeah. third, fourth, third through sixth grade, yep. roughly. Yeah. And uh, that was Hulkamania. Yep. That was when the WWF really that became... That was Cindy very... Lauper era. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Rock and um, wrestling connection. Yeah, and, yep. and it, it became very mainstream. It was, it was contemporaneous with MTV mm-hmm. be, becoming a thing. It oh, was, yeah. It was, it was this... I think it was part of the massive explosion of a certain brand of or a certain kind brand would be the wrong word to use mm-hmm. a certain a certain kind of of mass culture mm-hmm. that i i don't have the vocabulary right now to to enunciate what was different about it in the 80s but there was something in the 80s that was this kind of, kind of energy sure. where, where stuff like the WWF and MTV were all kind it of was, at the same time and fueled by the same kind of forces well here's here's what i think so, it was it was um and, and and then I'll start on my my fandom of it. Um, the the seventies was a time of psychedelia, mm-hmm. pastels, and earthen tones. The eighties was a time avocado of colored kitchen yeah, uh, appliances, golds through you know oh, oh, yeah, in, the in the mirrors. mirrors yeah, yeah. Um, the eighties was a time of primary colors. 
and bold, rounded lines. And synthesizers. And Well, yeah, obviously, guitars. And... <laughs> Bringing in the yeah. guitar. And yeah. also um, consumerism. Yes. Okay. I think what you're referring to is that bold color revolution in okay. some ways. All right. Um, not the least of which uh, is is interesting to me because Hulk Hogan wore yellow and red. Yeah. Always. Yeah. So, all right. So I grew up watching wrestling. My parents hated it. Absolutely hated it. <laughs> um, couldn't stand it. I remember the first match I ever saw was actually the AWA, which I will get into the history of later. Mm-hmm. But it's important to note that, um, and just for the wrestling nerds that are listening to this, um, and they that is a specific kind of geekery, by the way, is wrestling geekery. It has become a thing. And I'm so glad. But um, I I watched, uh, it was Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, known as the Midnight Rockers, going against Playboy Buddy Rose and Pretty Boy Doug Summers. And then I watched Big Scott Hall and Kurt Henning take on, I forget who. Uh, th- now, now, I mention this because there will be some people who go, oh my God, that's old. Yes. And then I started watching WWF. Because my neighbor came over and taught me about WWF. And the colors were so much brighter. The production value was so much bigger. The ropes were the American flag colors, the red, white, and the blue. And one of the first teams that I watched, again, I'm a sucker for tag teams. One of the first tag teams I watched was the Hart Foundation, dressed all in pink, almost entirely in pink. And they took on, I believe, the British Bulldogs who were still wearing pastels because they're from a slightly earlier era, mm-hmm. but they also had been WWFized. So they start their 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 trunks are still like light pastel blue, but they also come to the ring with these deep, bold colors for the Union Jack. Now, I also started watching Hulk Hogan and I marked out for him and it was great. And uh, Roddy Piper was already a good guy, but mm-hmm. no, actually he wasn't. He was a bad guy when I was still watching. Um, so, and then we had a rental store just down the street from us and I rented the, the third WWF WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Then I rented the first WrestleMania. Then I rented the second WrestleMania. I don't know why I didn't do them in order, but that was my first story. Yeah. Uh, it might've no, been, but my, it was, it was curiosity. With the VHS oh, yeah. store down the street oh, yeah. is, you know, you never, you can never find the first volume in a trilogy. True. Like the first time you went in, you True. always had to wait for it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I watched Bo Derek in five before I could watch her in ten. Nice. Well, Thank well you. done. Well done. <laughs> so, I've loved history. If I ever get a PhD, mm-hmm. it will probably be historically analyzing wrestling, quite honestly. Um, professional wrestling comes from a tradition of being one of the oldest sports ever. I mean, yeah. you actually uh, look back into history, and it's one of the first things. I mean, the Etruscans did it to the death but the the greeks did it yeah. um the olympics the other one is racing yes now, i find this fascinating because if you go back to your virtual world days they had yeah. red planet and BattleTech, so mm-hmm. fighting and and running yeah every culture has some variant of both of these things by the way yeah every culture has how fast can you go and who's the strongest one-on-one mm-hmm. very often it was actually used uh to train military folk to show off to each other, but also to train them for speed and for durability. It's it it should be noted here mm-hmm. um, as as the Asian history guy mm-hmm. um, when when you're talking about the Etruscans and the Greeks and the Romans and all mm-hmm. that. Uh, <clears throat> what I what I immediately want to interject is that um, 
all of the chronicles of samurai combat mm-hmm. from the very earliest periods of what we would refer to as the the actual existence of the samurai in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, the descriptions of battles almost have a ritual quality to them. Mm. And the culmination of a battle between two champions mm-hmm. always winds up ending. They start by shooting arrows at each other from a distance. distance yeah. They close... Uh, they, fight with, they, they fight with spears, right. then they fight with the, the longer sword, then they mm-hmm. fight with a shorter sword, and they always wind up ending, mm-hmm. wrestling one another with a dagger. Wow. Okay. And and so what we now know as jujitsu mm-hmm. has its roots in Super the same ancient. places in the same place that sumo does. Mm-hmm. And I I want to ask you mm-hmm. Uh, being the the uh, nipponophile mm-hmm. that I am, sure. uh, one of the most fascinating things about sumo in Japan is it, it has a fandom not unlike professional wrestling, mm-hmm. but it also has very very deep religious roots yeah. in in Shinto, in mm-hmm. Japanese folk religion, um, and so not knowing as much about Western wrestling mm-hmm. because of my peculiar upbringing, sure. Um, do you know if outside of you know the religious aspects of the Olympics, right? In the West, do you know did wrestling have the same kind of ritual fertility, kind of connotation, religious? Well, being the Romanophile aspect? that I am, uh-huh. uh, the the Romans never did anything original. Uh, so, and I'm I'm not a, a Hellenist either, so I don't I don't know from from Greek history as much. However, one of the constellations uh, that I you know skywatch with my kids now uh, is Castor and Pollux. Pollux is a famed wrestler, okay. and he gave his brother, uh, and I forget what Pollux means by the way in Latin, but the name Castor in Latin means beaver, which okay. is funny. Um, but he gave his brother part of his immortality mm. um and but pollux is actually a roman um exclamation mm. uh by pollux you, you okay. shout okay. um similar to by hercules okay um and uh hercules wrestled beasts to the ground okay. um you go back to the etruscans mm. and they had it wasn't ritual it was real but it was for the funerals of important etruscans they would have fights to the death not quite wrestling, but still martial combat, okay. one-on-one. You go back to mythology, as I like to do, and you find Gilgamesh and Enkidu wrestling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. You go forward to American mythology and folklore, and you find mm-hmm. Babe the Blue Ox and Paul Bunyan wrestling. So uh, every culture has it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a thing. It makes sense. It's our first <clears throat> way of fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Then we figure out, shit, that hurt. I'm going to find something to stab him with. So, but before the European Renaissance, wrestling actually lent itself to a very localized pride. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were local festivals. Each town had its own champion. Mm -hmm. uh, And it worked independently of class, by the way. Uh, No special equipment was needed. Bets could be made. Festival and market days were aplenty. Back then, they actually knew how to take time off. The Mm -hmm. Romans actually took roughly 180 out of 300. 55 they mm, had intercalary yeah, days um but uh they took <clears throat> every other day off on average it, it, mm. they didn't but like they had like week-long yeah. breaks um and that went on because people lived by the seasons yeah um so you could crown a new champion every festival so it's a this champion it's a that fit champion it's a this champion 
Even the Catholic Church approved of it uh, because it served as training for warfare, mm-hmm. which I like that, <laughs> you know, it's an institution. Yeah. Um, by the Renaissance, it was quite probably the most popular spectator sport there was. And it was somewhat organized in Northern Europe. Now, I'm much more of a Europeanist, um, and, and you can bring in um, the, uh, the Asian... Mm. Uh, Somewhat. Yeah, yeah, wrinkles to it. Yeah. Um, local champions would have special matches against other local champions. So now you have a traveling champion going okay. and challenging and stuff like that. Now, this usually took place in taverns. You could see where this is going. <laughs> there were riots. Mm-hmm. People died all the time. Mm-hmm. But there was always wrestling, mm-hmm. no matter what. So, and it wasn't the guys in the match that died. It was the spectators. Oh, it was the hooligans. Yeah. It was wrestling hooligans. Yeah. So, <laughs> in England, they start codifying wrestling by the 1500s. Different locales had different rules and different styles. And it's just, mm. it's kind of like house rules for D&D. Yeah. Um, Cumberland and Westmoreland uh, style uh, started with your chin resting on your opponent's shoulder. So, okay. if you imagine a hug, essentially. Um, and you would gain a fall if you could get him to drop to the ground in some way. Cornwall style was called jacket wrestling. Uh, you couldn't do any holds below the waist. You had to stay upon the okay. jacket. Lanc- uh, Lancaster, no, Lancashire. Lancashire. Lancashire style was called catch as catch can. Please remember catch as catch can. Okay. Now, I'm mostly referring to England because that's what comes over to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Albrecht Dürer... Uh, you might remember him. He drew over a hundred drawings of wrestling holds. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do. You know mm-hmm. when he did his etchings mm-hmm. uh, or engravings of, mm-hmm. of wrestling holds, was that just him choosing that as a subject, or do you know were those were those commissioned as plates, possibly by an instructor? That might be because as a hemaist, uh huh. Um, you like snakes. Nice. Yeah. Um, as a as a practitioner of historical European martial arts, there you go. Clarify um, the manual that I'm gradually trying to work my way through studying mm-hmm. has a great many plates mm-hmm. of of engravings that have to do with stances and positions and strikes. Is this the and medieval combat. Kind of plates? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I used to have that book. I gave yeah. it to a friend for a birthday once. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. there's there 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 are there, several. There are several. The, the one I'm studying is uh, by Meyer, uh, mm-hmm. and he, he published one volume, promised a second one, and then traveled in the wintertime, caught pneumonia, and died before he was able to get the second one printed. We had that happen to a president. The so. bastard. <laughs> um, I don't really mean that. He's, he's, of course, the spiritual father of my school. I'm sorry, sensei, forgive me. Uh, or I should say chef, forgive me. Um <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, just a question. No, whether, yeah, I don't. Whether, whether I don't know. Or was just I fascinated with wrestlers, or if I kind of wrestling instructor asked him, "Hey, see, I need to because it could out be one of teach this. It could be one of two things. It could be I need the money. It could also be I need to practice drawing humans. So point, what better be a way? Good way to handle figurative, exactly. try to capture motion. It would, yeah, yeah. But having Durer draw this is like having Thomas Kincaid today drawing like hundreds of pictures of John Cena. Like that would be the equivalent cuz Dura was Can we say Rockwell instead of Thomas Kincaid? Sure. Sure. Cuz <laughs> So I'm a stop. Go- so anyway. Gawain so. and Lancelot? Yes. They wrestled in Mallory's book. They did. Uh, that'd be like if JK Rowling wrote about Harry and Ronald wrestling. 
I can stick with that one. Yeah, okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> quibble over that one. That'll work. So back in England, Henry the Eighth, he wrestled. Back before he was fat Henry. Right, right, right yeah. before he got gout and ballooned yeah. to you know a before he putrid. fell off the, the yeah. horse. Um, in America, it took a while until wrestling came over because it took a while for the English <clears throat> to come over. Um, now, that doesn't mean there wasn't people wrestling here already. There were. It was Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, plenty of, of stuff going on there. But what I'm talking about is the roots of, of professional wrestling. Yeah, so our, it's, it's, mo- it's going to be... Yeah. 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 Um, and it's not like the, the slaves that were kidnapped and brought over Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't have their own martial arts. They absolutely no, did. Hundred percent. Totally oh yeah. Um, but I'm talking about the professional wrestling, and its yeah. roots are very much rooted here. So, uh, but largely it was because the Puritans didn't want anybody to have any fun. So they really didn't. No, and they it, really, you know, really didn't. That's one. This is one of those rare cases where a group of people have a reputation in history that is actually well deserved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now the funny thing is they drank like fish. Well, they had to. The water was all terrible. Well, well yeah, but, so. but even even beyond the water is terrible. Oh, yeah. It it they really drank a mm-hmm. lot. Now but they, they judged they each other. They judged each other harshly for their drunkenness. Mm-hmm. But but they did a lot of judging each other for their drunkenness. I just yeah, yeah and, and and yeah, they really they banned Christmas. Yeah, the because it was witchcraft. The bastards banned Christmas. <laughs> So, anyway, sorry. yeah, it yeah. would it would take until the <clears throat> Irish came over with all their rowdiness before New England got into wrestling. Uh, that's right. So, yes. But in the South, wrestling was growing by the early 1700s as a recognized pursuit. Well, because the people who settled the Southern colonies weren't a bunch of prigs with sticks up their asses. Right. They were they were there to have fun. Uh, well, and they were there to make money. But yeah. yeah, if they could have fun while they were doing but it. But awesome. because it was the South, they of course kept the lower classes lower classes from doing it, um, or at least so it became a gentleman's thing. Yeah, well, you or or you just you've got the 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 help has their wrestling isn't that cute, and then you've got real men's wrestling. Oh, oh. Um, and George Washington absolutely was huge into wrestling as a young man. Uh, he loved it. Several presidents, including Zachary Taylor. He was Taylor. like 6'4". He was he huge was six in everything. 6'2". Yeah, okay. 6'2". By the standards of the day, he was huge He was in enormous, yeah. Was a, yeah. But Zachary Taylor wrestled. Abraham yeah. Lincoln wrestled. Uh, both got into it as young men. Lincoln is said to have gotten into over 300 matches. Uh, he mostly did what was called Cornish style, which was side hold style. Oh. We'll get into that. Probably okay. taking advantage of his tall, wiry frame. <clears throat> He's well, you know, using yeah. leverage. My favorite story is that he fought this one guy named Jack Armstrong, okay, uh, to a draw, uh, which is cool because he didn't win. After beating the rest of Armstrong's crew, he beat all of them. Then he and back then, every everyone back then, even then, had honorages. Um, but so this one was called the Clary Grove Gang, okay, um, and it just rolls off the tongue. And they would go anybody who came to town, they test him out. Be like, oh, well, we're going to see if we can push this guy around. Now, this is the frontier. This is out west where all the Scots are settled. So, of course, it's rowdy and everybody's shitty to each other. Yeah. Right. Of course it does. Yes. Hence the matches. Yes. Um, And now some people have it that Lincoln beat him by wearing him down, wearing down Armstrong. Others say that once it was obvious that Lincoln was beating Armstrong, the rest of the game came in to mob Lincoln, um, which had no effect. He just laughed it off. (laughs) Um, I don't know which is the true story because back then tall tales are a huge thing. But arms, here's a quote for you. 
Armstrong's friendship came to mean much, including a family with whom to lodge from time to time, and someone in Hannah Armstrong to launder and mend his clothes. The goodwill of the Clary's Grove boys earned him, Lincoln, the captainship of the local militia unit and a first taste of leadership when, some months later, he was summoned to the duty in the Black Hawk War. Wrestling got him this job. In addition to being captain of their company, Lincoln distinguished himself by upholding their honor in the obligatory wrestling matches that enlivened the long and largely uneventful bivouacs of the volunteers. Now, some people say this is Lincoln's only defeat, uh, and because of that, Armstrong and his game became Lincoln supporters uh, and would regularly toss out hecklers when Lincoln was stumping for office. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so... It's a good thing to have. Yeah. It's a good thing to you have. Know, so by the early 1800s, the overwhelming majority of manual laborers got into wrestling, shockingly, <clears throat> utilizing their strength. At this point, the upper classes of the South and out West, Western Pennsylvania, Kentucky, the borderlands, mm. essentially, they saw wrestling as a kid's sport that grown men didn't get into. So you see this shift away from rowdiness. Um, those adults who real, were... Real, real adult men, of course, by that time were boxing by Queensberry Exactly. And again, very class structured, yeah. right? Uh, adults who were good at it were using different rules, and here's why. Uh, now, so so you've got all these different rules. I'm going to coalesce them eventually. Okay. But the adults in the West, Western Pennsylvania, Kentucky, the borderlands, lived on the frontiers. So the culture out there was that victory mattered more than the rules did. Lots of the white folks who inhabited these areas were Scots and Scots-Irish. These are people who are not known for following the rules so much as making sure that they were one up on you. Well, they, they wound up where they were because the British had kicked them out for not following the rules. Right. So, and to them, know, anybody, enforce, anybody enforcing <clears throat> rules was an was illegitimate an government oppressing them. Right. Yeah. But they're also very clannish. And I don't mean that pun yet, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. they're very clannish, and yeah. loyalty to your gang or your clan mattered more. Yeah. Victory of your gang or clan or kin mattered paramount, yeah. and making sure that you were always one up on them. So you didn't just get even. No, no, no. You you went one up. Well, uh, this this yeah. ties in, of course, to all the stories about the Hatfields and McCoys. Oh, 100%. And all, all of the other, because the Hatfield, Hatfield yeah. and McCoy feud is the one that's most famous within our, within our culture. Right? Yeah. Um, when my folks were living in Milton, Florida, mm -hmm. back in the 1960s, or early, very early 70s, I should say, mm -hmm. um, there was still an ongoing feud between two families mm -hmm. uh, who had started out as moonshiners and have, in the modern world, of course, moved into bootlegging other controlled substances. Right. Um, and, but it, it was... I oh, know. Yeah. I know. Up until the turn of this century, mm -hmm. was still an ongoing feud between those two families. Oh yeah. So it's oh, definitely yeah. yeah. Blood feuds are not a an abnormal thing in that <clears throat> area. No. Much less in the culture that it came from. No. Oh yeah. No. So, uh, because this style, as rough as it was, uh, was what got people victories. It becomes a dominant form. Okay. So it, I want you to think about MMA. MMA used to be style versus style. Mm -hmm. And then one guy kept winning, Gracie, choking everybody out using jujitsu. So mm -hmm. then to win, you had to either be able to counter or engage in jujitsu. All these jujitsu camps open up, yeah. right? Then somebody gets in there and starts knocking the shit out of people again. Mm -hmm. Then it's like, oh, 
we got to be able to take a punch too. Mm-hmm. And so it ceases to be these formalized styles and uh, turned into yeah. And MMA has now right. become its own is own style. Thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you the, could get martial arts geeks going forever. Oh yeah, on that. Yeah. Oh yeah, as to whether or not it's legitimate. Yeah. I mean, you get linguists going as to whether yeah. or not Klingon is legitimate language. It's, yeah. it's very yeah. similar arguments. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the same. It's the, the roots of the conflict. The yeah. Uh, the only agreed upon rule ever was no weapons, which doesn't mean they all agreed upon it. Uh, but gouging, <laughs> mm-hmm. biting, yeah. fish hooking, which is where you take your two fingers inside their cheek and yank. Uh, nut shots, oil checking. Oil checking is where you take your thumb and shove it up their ass. <laughs> That's that is the most evocative euphemism <laughs> yeah. I have heard in a very long <laughs> while. <laughs> All of these things are fine, by the way. Sweet Jesus! All of these things are fine, and the loser is the one who ends up giving up or is incapacitated. These matches that were wrestled out where Lincoln was were. Brutal. Winners would be forever scarred, missing all kinds of appendages from their face. Ears, noses. Oh, my God. Their face would look like hamburger. (laughs) Like, losers would lose eyes, would have their cheeks ripped open from from that kind of stuff. Body parts would be missing. Mm. Yeah, it was... Literal. Yeah. Yeah. Carnage. Literal carnage. Maiming. Oh, God. Um, As more people moved in with their sensibilities, this frontier style kind of falls away. Um, in the Midwest, God. yeah, don't get it. <laughs> Thank goodness for gentrification. Yeah, you know, people people yeah. decry it, but you know, historically, it, it it works in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, in the Midwest and the Mississippi Valley, they come up with a more judo-like style. If you can throw your opponent, you're winning. Mm-hmm. You can still use all the holds you wanted, so it's still yeah. no holds barred. But you don't get to gouge them, bite them, or punch them with knuckled fists. You can open hand palm strike them. Okay. And that absolutely feeds into pro wrestling. Oh, yeah. We'll get into yeah, yeah. that. Now, this becomes the basis for catches catch can wrestling of the late 1800s. Now, you might okay. remember yes. I, I talked about it yes. earlier, right? You wanted me to hold on to yep. catches catch can. So it... Had it trouble catching it, comes, I think well, I did. There you go. Um, it comes via ship over mm-hmm. to uh, the Americas. And because... And it really starts in, uh, goes into the late 1800s. And, and it was easily accept, accessible because it takes strength, yes. So if you weren't that skilled, you could still muscle your way through victories. But it also took skill. So if you weren't that big, you could skill your way to victories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something also that f- poor folks could do. Yeah. Again, no special equipment, right? Now, by this point, people in the Northeast begin to realize that exercise isn't bad for them. And that this puritanical scorn for fun uh, gives away, gives, gives, you know, falls away because there's Irish immigrants and they're well, going to yeah, have fun. And, and, and eventually, yeah, there's yeah. a whole bunch of forces at work, but yeah. yeah. Now, I'm pretty sure there's a demographic shift that leads to a change in attitude, really, is, is the more Irish you have a critical mass. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, they, you know, the Lord wants you to have fun. Live that's, a vivacious that's, lifestyle. That's, that's that's a big part of it. I yeah. I think there's there's also an argument to be made that after a certain point, um, no religious movement like Puritanism can sustain itself. True. And True. eventually, people are going to want to Do be able want to, to have a good time. Yeah, that's very so, true. So with waves of Isle immigration, yeah, 
come other styles, right? So all the ones I mentioned before, many of which meshed into the Northeast because that's where a lot of them come, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this catch-as-catch-can developing in the borderlands and in the South. Um, It's violent. It's bloody. There's very few rules. It's aimed at testing outsiders and, frankly, driving them off, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's... Because clannishness. Exactly. Um, And and it establishes local champions Mm -hmm. in, in the West and in the South. Um, and, and again, the West is not California. The West is essentially Western Pennsylvania and Kentucky. Ohio. Yeah. Um, and this is something that the poors do to each other. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> in the Northeast, you have more rules. Mm. You have more diverse styles. You have a focus on which technique is best because you have a balkanization occurring in the Northeast that you mm-hmm. don't have in the West. In the West, everybody's all white. Mm-hmm. As long as you're not black or Indian, you're white. You're fine. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't really matter what style you bring yeah. as long as you win. But in the Northeast, are you Irish? Are you Scottish? Are you Welsh? Are you Cornish? Are you, are you English? English? Are you, in which case, the hell are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you mm-hmm. Presbyterian? Mm-hmm. Are you Lutheran? Are you Calvinist? I mean, it's just all these things. Yeah. So so there's a clear delineation of yeah. are you this, are you this? And the same thing happens with styles. So it still is about getting styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a focus, like I said, on which technique is best, based essentially on the country of origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you also still have a blending of styles um, because eventually... An Irishman's going to see a thing that a Scotsman did, and he's going to try it, and he's going to adopt it, and he's going to mm. fold it into his, and when he teaches his son, and da 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 da, mm. da you have cultural diffusion um, through literal contact. Um, the the uh, style that, that kind of becomes the style of the Northeast is the Irish style, and this style is known as collar and elbow. Now, I promise I will get to professional wrestling, okay. but collar and elbow, if you watch a professional wrestling match, it's how they lock up in the beginning. Okay. My arm goes around your neck. My other arm goes towards your shoulder or your collarbone. Your arm snakes along my arm, and your other arm goes around my neck. And we lock up that way. And that's how we start. We jockey for position. Um, it's a mix of upright and ground wrestling. Yeah. It's holds based. It doesn't rely on size so much as it relies on speed and finesse. Mm-hmm. Makes sense if you're Irish. Mm-hmm. Malnutrition is a thing. <laughs> well, yeah. And the Irish who move to southwest Vermont are the ones whose style becomes the basis for professional wrestling. The Vermont Irish see the value in wrestling as a way of letting off steam because they don't want blood feuds. They know better. Yeah. Um, This is in stark contrast to what's happening in the Borderlands where they live for blood feuds and die for them. And it's a far bloodier wrestling and much more revengey type style. Yeah. In wrestling, right? So the, the the roots of the pro wrestling drama are happening out there. The roots of the pro wrestling techniques mm-hmm. are happening in the East. Okay. Now, the Civil War happened. Do you remember the Civil War? Uh, well, I mean, not firsthand. Right, but, but it was fought I, because yeah. of slavery. Yes, because... Right, yes. okay. So it happened. Because a group of people wanted to hold another group of people's property yeah. based on the color of their skin. And the other people were like, you know what? I don't want to compete with that as an economic model. Yeah. It I, wasn't I, like, I really, hey, they should go free. It yeah, was, no, yeah. It's, it's... Yeah. It, yeah. But at least they stood for something. Yeah. Um, so it happened. The Vermont volunteers uh, go into the army and they use collar and elbow beating out other companies in the north all the time and you have companies 
Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's no different than what I was talking about. They were so good at it that there were a few who actually made their living as traveling wrestlers. In other words, professional wrestlers. Northern companies had company champions, and between battles, they'd wrestle each other. Uh, collar and elbow becomes the dominant form in the North. Here's what's happening. No, I want you to notice what's happening. The North has a style that's mostly successful, um, and the South has its style that's mostly successful. The North style is dexterity, hold-based, technical, skill-oriented, and cares about the rules. The South style is bloody, violent, I'm going to say savage, and based on strength. This matters. If there's rules, then one has to accept a loss as a loss. If there's not rules, then your individual honor may demand being more savage to ensure victory. Okay. Now let's go to the Civil War cultures. And you kind of start to see it's not just a battle of gray versus blue. It's not just a battle of free men versus, you know, let's hold them in slavery. There is a cultural conflict that is also playing out in a similar way that like World War II wasn't... The the reason it was so bloody between the Russians and the Germans wasn't just because the Russians were facing an existential threat. It was also that communism and fascism were so diametrically opposed philosophically that it added fuel. Yeah. Same thing's happening here. Um, And it's wrestling. After the war, men go back to work. Plenty of northern wrestlers uh, are trying to make their way in the world now. This is what I did. I was good at it. I'd like to keep going. Uh, if only there was a rail system operating in the north that would carry people in carnivals from town to town to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens right after? Oh, yeah. Exactly. Now, the south didn't have this system. No. Thank you, Sherman. Yeah. Well, uh, but yeah. also, and, and he, he big, destroyed... Big, big Willie. Yes. Yeah. He destroyed what was there, but it's not like they had much of a rail system. No, they, they didn't. Not like what the north had. Uh, well, yeah, uh, because, you know... Simply put, the, the northern industrialized economy relied on rail for all of its and so logistics. You, you have a logistical yeah. advantage, and now yeah. you have a logistical difference in wrestling, yeah. professional wrestling, because these are people going town to town. And now this mm-hmm. is all shoot wrestling, and there's a difference between shoot and work, mm-hmm. and I'll get into it later, but mm-hmm. essentially shoot is the real shit, work is the fake shit. Okay. So these guys are going around legitimately fighting people and wrestling. Okay. And they're following rules and they're bringing these rules with them. And they're on tour in the north. In the south, you don't have that happening. Sherman come through, like I said, wrecked havoc on all kinds of rail. Also, the local champions in the south, fewer and farther between. You didn't have as many uh, cities. You didn't have as many um, villages. Yeah. So the local champions are fewer and farther between, like I said. Um, and, and in the South, you don't really see barnstorming, um, in the Midwestern and Southern states until the rail lines get fixed. Yeah. So they're further behind, which means their strength in their wrestling, the brutality is more localized, which means in some ways it's more remote from each other, which means when they meet, it's going to be more brutal Okay. because you don't have constant contact and going, well, this is too much shit, you know? In major cities, populations quadrupled, like a huge explosion. And those people had money and a need for diversions, so wrestling grows. Mm -hmm. And you can have wrestling in different neighborhoods and stuff like that. And traveling carnivals grow, and they go from town to town to town. Uh, Newspapers and telegraphs 
are growing in use. So now you're getting notoriety in newspapers and people are getting newspapers going across. Uh, and so did the legend of these various wrestlers. Now, since the Civil War brought all these Northern immigrant styles together, more people became aware of collar and elbow rules. So Vermont has its head start, which lasts for a while, but eventually New Yorkers begin to grow in prominence. And in New York, you've got Italians and the Polish and Jews. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yes, of course, you've got the Irish as well. Uh, but you've got other groups coming in and bringing their things. You've got a lot of Greek immigrants in Chicago, uh, which, you know, wrestling, mm -hmm. Greco-Roman wrestling, right? Now, I want to highlight who the main benefactors were of all of this, okay? The growing Irish population in the cities. They're benefiting from this because they're not allowed other jobs. Okay. So, should be noted, this is also the time period during which municipal fire departments, municipal police departments mm -hmm. become a thing. Yes. And <clears throat> police departments, uh, you know, the police are referred to as the Irish whales. Yes. And there's an argument to be made over whether the term paddy wagon refers to the people who were driving it or the people who were being thrown into it. Right. So, often yes. in the same family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is also, by the way, the point at which, uh -huh. you know, although this happened on the other side of the pond, the term mm -hmm. hooligan gets coined. Oh, really? Yes. There was a family in London. Oh, God. Named Hoolihan. <laughs> That's awesome. Who, who were, okay. by all accounts, <laughs> in the newspaper every uh -huh. other week, or more frequently, for some act of mayhem. <laughs> and uh, they, they uh, pressed suit. Against the newspapers okay. for, for, you know, dragging their name through the mud. And all, sure. Matter of fact, they were dragging themselves through the mud in yeah. these fights and whatever. All. And so the newspapers stopped saying Houlihan. Changed the word to a generalized term for a, a thug or a, uh -huh. a worker of mayhem called a hooligan. <laughs> and so that's where we get the term soccer hooligan. Wow. Comes from Ain't that Irish. something? Yeah. And at, least, I, at least that's one. That's that's sure. one. That's one story of the etymology of the term. Sure, it's a personal favorite of mine. Oh, yeah, and and knowing what I know so about that, the history, I don't entirely yeah. doubt it. I, I so. like that now. That's two words that come from a family name that have absolutely invaded the lexicon. Yeah. The other one being Caesar. Yes. You know that yeah. that worked its way into five other languages too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As meaning emperor. Yeah. So. So okay. So you've got these Irishmen. Who can't? Who aren't allowed to take other jobs? Exactly. So no dogs are Irish. A few get yeah. to prominence this way. Yeah. So this means, by the way, to have a wrestling event, you need to have an audience, and to have an audience, you have to have uh, somebody to promote the event. So the first real promoters are urban Irish, Jewish, and Italian, who were at the time the lower rungs. Not well, yeah, right? and, and barely considered white. Right. If, if they were. Right. It, it depends on who they're standing yeah, next to. Yeah. In the south, in the borderlands, <clears throat> you don't have promotions, really. You might have one guy, mm -hmm. um, and it's still isolated. It's still brutal. Mm. Eventually, Colin Elbow in the north gives way to what people wrongly called Greco-Roman, um, which is just, you know, it, it, that seems like, therefore it is, and it mm. wasn't. But it largely relied on strength and size, mm -hmm. which, frankly, if you think about it, is much more of a spectacle. Mm -hmm. So you you have this spectacularism to it in the north, still different than in the south. Now, what, how, yeah. what time period are we talking about? There? We're talking when, about when this, the late 1800s. Really so we're talking about 
1880s? Yeah, 1880s. We're talking about like okay. around the time that Garfield gets shot. Okay. So 81 okay. Um, and, and what have you. Okay. So. Uh, now the reason I ask that sure. is because on top of everything else, I'm a theater nerd. Mm-hmm. And there is a quote from the Music Man mm-hmm. in which the mayor of the town waxes rhapsodic mm-hmm. about a wrestling match that was the most thrilling thing he remembered. This is in Iowa. Mm-hmm. That was the most thrilling thing he ever remembered seeing in all of the, you know, the the, mm-hmm. the uh, barbershop quartet guys right. are, are all nodding along with him. Um, as this just being this amazing thing where he names these two wrestlers who locked arms and stood there motionless <laughs> for 12 hours. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's... Because clearly that's, a, that's parody of something it's and not I'm... too far it's really not no it, it some of the most famous matches yeah. of the early 1900s went on for five hours okay yeah so it's not not okay. on. however the standing there no it's okay. a lot of but it's a lot of laying there which is even less exciting <laughs> yeah so just, yeah hearing you talk about that brought that to mind so sure asking the experts so. now as immigrants keep coming over from england specifically lancashire yeah. um catch as catch can keeps kind of like Biting at the legs of Greco-Roman, mm. faux Greco-Roman. Um, catch wrestling could get a victory via submission or pinfall. Getting the guy's important, shoulders important to the mat. To mm-hmm. yes. Or getting the guy to say, I give. Yeah. Uh, or in some way giving. Which makes it more exciting because you got options now, right? Now collar and elbow experts, they learn some Greco-Roman because they have to. And they learn some catch wrestling. So they're blending the styles. And eventually uh, they move toward the more successful wrestlers, wrestlers being more muscly. Mm-hmm. Again, with the... And, and when we get into the... the this is the 1880s. Yeah. When we get to the 1980s, you'll see it writ larger. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, by the late 1800s, late, late 1880s, there's a guy named William Muldoon. He's very gregarious, very Irish, very Irish, very Christian wrestler, and the people start to accept wrestling publicly. So it wasn't just the oh yeah, it's what the poor's do. It was like no, people are really into this guy. He was about two hundred fifty pounds. He was a former police officer from New York, and he traveled the country beating all sorts of people in all sorts of matches. Interestingly, it was his personality that drove him, mm-hmm. which again we're getting yeah. Now, um, would you call him the original babyface? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'd call him the original attraction. Okay, he's not even a babyface. Doesn't have to be. Okay, he's an, he's the Andre the Giant. Okay, you like him because he's huge, not because of his personality. Okay. Um, now here's here's why his personality drives it. You have two giants, <clears throat> two hundred fifty pound guys. Back then, that's, that's enormous. Yeah, pushing against each other for eight hours, and it's just kind of dull. Uh-huh. Catch wrestling becomes more entertaining because you've got smaller, scrappier guys. Yeah. There's more motion, and it becomes more exciting. So Muldoon, he's popular because he's exciting. Now, at this point, it's mostly real. There's very few thrown matches. But also, you have traveling shows, and they're putting on exhibition matches where each guy gets to show off his prowess with a partner, which means I am going to let you do this to me. And it's um, later on um, in, in Japan, you have this, uh, yeah. where their pro wrestling is, 
they <laughs> there's a guy that called it and he says American wrestling is simulated combat that's trying to look real. Japanese wrestling is real combat that's trying to look simulated. So, yeah, they go like 90% and they just kind of let each other get out of the hold. Okay. So, and that's kind of what these guys did. So, and and the way, the reason they do this is so that they could show something exciting, draw a crowd. And the way they get around fixing matches was to take on locals who had been scouted ahead of time by other people on the tour. So you have this Mm -hmm. tier system now. Uh, if they're good enough, they'd actually, you know, you oh my god, you beat our, our main guy. Would you like to come on tour with us mm-hmm. so that we keep our legitimacy and can keep making money? Mm-hmm. And we're going to make money off of you. Now, notice right now that all the money in wrestling is being made in the North. Mm-hmm. Using Northern styles and, and, of course, because there's more money, the promoters have more money to spend on spectacle and what have you. Now, if you're looking back at the lost cause... More money. Mm-hmm. The North has all these advantages. Has all the resources. Has right. all the logistics. Has all the rules. Right. Yeah. Also, if you're wondering, by the way, black men are completely frozen out of the system. Yeah. 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 Uh, the war was about slavery, but make no mistake that northern attitudes and southern attitudes toward black athletes showing up white atti- white athletes were the same. Oh, yeah. You don't get to. Um, with the exception of Jack Johnson in boxing, which isn't uh, for another... 40 years from where I'm yeah. talking about, there's very little mixing in any professional sport at all. Yeah. Now by Well, and Jack Johnson had yeah. oh, he all took, the issues, that, all the shit he oh, had. Oh, absolutely. Any, yeah, even absolutely. 40 years later. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that the 1920s is even 40 years later. Yeah. Like, like, like that should have been better. Like, looking yeah. back, we're like, well, of course it wasn't better. Yeah. Even 100 years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So by World War I, boxing had been shown to be shady. People were throwing boxing matches by World War One, yeah. left, right, and center. Wrestling had also been shown to be shady by this point. I can't, I tried to find where it shifted from mm. legit to not. The best I could tell is around the turn of the century. Okay. But with the carnivals, it, it was a blurred line. It was it was well because a broad it started out. Line. It started out as we're we're doing this exhibition thing that's ninety percent real, but we want everybody to be able to show off what they can do. Right, and that's that's the slippery slope. Right, where they they didn't cut a step. Right, and say this is not what we're going to do. Right, they didn't. Use they the didn't. Analogy you've used in mm-hmm. other in other conversations about slopes. Yes, you know they didn't say no, no. Okay, look, we're going to do this thing. But uh-huh. That's all. You know. And now that you're here, let's show you some of the, the, yeah. the, the, the full stuff now. Yeah. Right. Um, also by World War One, baseball has been shown to be shady. Black Sox. Yep. So this is at the same time as submission wrestling is growing in influence. Now, submission wrestling is very easy to fake. Mm-hmm. For obvious reasons, right? So, which makes it shadier. Also, there's this sense that some submission holds are more honorable than others. Okay. Right. Which is funny because I, I had to check with myself on that and I absolutely agree. And I don't know okay. why. So like when I watch MMA, when I used to watch MMA, my okay. favorite matches would be the ones that lasted about a minute and ended with a submission. Because I knew that both guys would go home to their family that night. Nobody's okay. going to the hospital. Yeah. My second favorite matches would be the ones that lasted around and still ended in submission. After that, it's like, okay, then a match where a guy gets knocked out in the first round, I, I like that too, because he's not taking that many hits to the head. Yeah. And so on. And I hated 
matches that went to decision. Slugfests. Yeah. Or yeah. just like, God, yeah. just somebody fall. Yeah. Or or something goes to submission in the fourth round. I'm like, why couldn't you have done that earlier? Yeah. He still has to go to the hospital. Yeah. You know? But, so there are, and absolutely there are more honorable holds than others. I always thought that an arm bar was much more honorable than like uh, a choke. Huh. I don't know why. It, okay. it doesn't make any sense to okay. me. I, I guess because you're not going to end up getting a stroke from an arm bar. All if right. you break can, an arm, that's reparable. That. Yeah. 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 I guess that's it for me. Well, having, having wrestled for one season mm-hmm. in high school, um, reparable has has degrees. Right. Uh, you know, I, oh, I, true. I, heard, I heard stories about some vomit-inducing mm-hmm. stuff. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. Oh, things get... Yeah. Turn the wrong way. Yeah. Oh, now, interestingly, uh, interestingly, uh, the the more honorable submission holds included chokes, strangleholds. Okay. There's a guy named Ed the Strangler Lewis. Guess what he did a lot of. <laughs> did he own a panel van? Just, you know. <laughs> no. Okay. This is he, he. He did his thing in the late 1800s. Okay. Um. He also panel was from. Wagon? <laughs> yeah. Just sorry. Yeah, sorry, no, panel Conestoga. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was from Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, which, keep that in mind. Okay. Um, which is far enough west that the most brutal methods get employed. Mm-hmm. But it's still way far north. Right. Uh, but demographically, you have bigger people coming there. You have Swedes. Swedes, Norse. Right. Yeah, Danes. Um, so you have the big spectacle. Yeah. But also, you've got the catch-as-catch-can folk yeah. coming through. Yeah. Uh, he used everything. And he was the main superstar by the end of the 1800s. Okay. Um, the name like the Strangler. Right. right. Yeah. Cool. Which he then used as a work in his loss to a man named Farmer Burns. Okay. So he deliberately lost to Farmer Burns. Okay. And Farmer Burns used catch wrestling. Okay. Farmer Burns trained a man named Frank Gotch, who okay. was from Iowa. Okay. Now, again, I want you to see what's happening here. Late 1800s, Eastern wrestlers are giving way to rest, Wester, Western wrestlers and Midwestern wrestlers. Catch style Northern, is, Northern Midwest, it yes, should be noted. Yes. Catch style is becoming the main style. It's blending okay. with submission wrestling, though. Okay. You're seeing the Northern style emerge, and it tends to lead to a champion whom nobody can beat and everybody loves. Okay. To drive up interest, he'll lose to someone in a worked fashion. Work is when you 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 don't do it honestly. You massage it. Yep. You okay. don't just massage it. You agree on it ahead of time. Yeah. This is the end of this episode. <laughs> and I haven't really even gotten to 1908, which is a watershed year for wrestling. Okay. So what have you learned so far that you found what the fuckish? Um a lot. <laughs> um, what I what I find remarkable about the whole thing mm-hmm. is the the demographics mm. being as big mm-hmm. an issue, which shouldn't be a surprise, but it's it still always winds up being you know like like the wallpaper pattern you don't notice in the back of the room right. until suddenly somebody points it out and you're like my God that's been there the whole time. Right. You know? <laughs> Um, you know, Kaiser Soze, you know, and all sure. the details at the end of the film. Uh, spoiler alert, I suppose. Yeah. Um, 
Rocky yeah. doesn't win the first fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But but he, <laughs> that's yeah. But I like spoiling uh, really old yeah, movies. Yeah, really old movies. She yeah. gets on the plane. Nice. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I like it. Um, the Rocky thing is just a uh, uh, hero's journey, anyway. Yeah. So if you studied Campbell, you should know that. But um, actually, it's Sly Stallone ripping off. <clears throat> Uh, uh, an actual professional boxer's entire life. Oh, okay. Well, oh, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, okay, it's fun. Right. But the 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 extent to which the the demographic differences mm-hmm. are that stark mm-hmm. is remarkable. Yeah, and the regionalism of it being that uh, delineated mm-hmm. for that long. Yeah, is interesting and it's going to last even longer as it becomes more profitable Hmm. yeah all right so yeah no i'm interested to see how how the the southern aspect of things is going to fit into it going Mm -hmm. forward so yeah well good Good. cool so um any pluggables and by pluggables i don't mean like shows that you're on or or things that you're doing because we don't know when this will air um so instead uh books that you're reading I or am, books that you were recommending. Yes, I am currently reading mm-hmm. um, How the Scots Invented the Modern World. Uh, how the poorest country in Western Europe uh, gave rise to our modern world and everything in it. Oh. Uh, which is a very, very long title. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Uh, the true story of how Western Europe's poorest nation created our world and everything in it. Uh, the book is uh, broken down into basically two sections. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first section uh, is... Um, referred to as epiphany and that's where i am right now i'm only in about chapter three but it talks about the scottish enlightenment okay and how the religious wars that had Mm -hmm. torn scotland apart in the 1600s led to the philosophical underpinnings of everything that that he's going to wind up talking about going forward okay um, I'm uh, excited to start reading something called The True Flag, Theodore Roosevelt, Mark Twain, and the Birth of the American Empire. Uh, this is by um, Stephen Kinzer. Okay. Maybe Kinzer, I'm not sure. Um, I heard him interviewed on a podcast, uh, okay. and it was just absolutely fascinating. About And it was essentially how the, the war that we gloss over as teachers all the time, because uh, it's hardly in the curriculum Spanish at American? all. Spanish-American War. Yeah. How that actually defined... The United States of America. Going into the modern world. Yeah. And and how not just our, our reach, but mm-hmm. also the language we used and the justifications we did and the, the self-lying that we did and things like that. But also he talks about huge, in, in, in large swaths, the debates um, that were being had and how well-educated everybody used to be. Oh, um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in reading that. I, I highly recommend as a follow-up to that. Mm-hmm. Um, Honor in the Dust by Greg Jones. Ah, you re- you recommended that in our very first episode, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, because it's all about the occupation of the Philippines. Right. Which is the immediate aftermath uh, mm-hmm. of, of the Spanish-American War. And yeah. the parallels mm. between that event mm-hmm. in the early 20th century right. and everything. And I, I'm really not exaggerating. I mean, yeah. everything that has happened in Iraq and Afghanistan with our armed forces there mm-hmm. in the 21st is oh, yeah. harrowing. Yeah. 
It's it's nice. History's kind of fun that way. Like if you didn't get it the first time, don't worry. Yeah, no, it, we're gonna do it you'll, again. You'll get, you'll get the remedial course whether you passed or not. Right. So, well, um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, I would recommend at Geek History Time for this podcast. Uh, for myself, it's at Da Harmony, and you uh, at E H Blaylock. Yeah. So I just hit two hundred followers. Awesome. Right? Nice and and I'd like to get 205 <clears throat> okay. and then stop there. I would like to be selective. Okay. Not at all. Yeah, okay, um, no. Yeah, no, no it's I'm, fine. I'm, um, un, un, unlike my colleague, I'm a whore. <laughs> I, am, I am, follow me, like seriously, yeah. please, I, I need the hit. I desperately, desperately <laughs> need the validation of seeing that I have new followers and that people like my stuff because I am go. a needy, needy, needy little bastard. There you go. But so, I know it, so. Yeah. Well, uh, we will catch you guys next time on A Geek History of Time. So may all of your D20s roll crit, and may all of your damage be maximum.